Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Trump eller Biden, republikanerne eller demokraterne. I USA er det kommende præsidentvalg altid det vigtigste i historien. Men denne gang føles det, om ikke som det vigtigste valg, så i det mindste skæbnesvaret. Hvad er det for et land, og hvad er det for nogle vælgere, der den 3. november skal stemme om, hvem der skal sætte sig bag skrivebordet i verdens vigtigste kontor? Det finder vi ud af over fire serieepisoder af Altinget 7, viet helt holden til det amerikanske præsidentvalg. Det er og bliver en gåde. Hvorfor stemmer de på ham, amerikanerne, på Trump? For det er ikke kun de vrede hvide mænd fra det deindustrialiserede Midtvesten, der stemmer på ham. Der er også kvinder med Trump. Det har vi teoretiseret over her i Azure, men nu har vi inviteret en vaskeægte, ikke bare Trump-vælger, men også en, der har arbejdet for hans regering. Hvad er det, vi danskere og europæere har så svært ved at forstå, når det kommer til Donald Trump? Hvad er hans politiske resultater egentlig, og hvilken arv efterlader han sig, hvis han ikke bliver genvalgt den 3. november? Det er spørgsmålene i denne særudgave af Altinget Azure. Mit navn er Esben Schøring. Velkommen til. Og nu er det så, at jeg slår om i engelsk for at byde vores gæst, Roslyn Layton. Velkommen. Roslyn, welcome to Alting Azure. It's so good to have you here. Great to be here. Thank you, husband. Okay, so Roslyn, you're here because our guest from the two previous uh, episodes, Jesper Packard Peterson, he said, hey, you guys, you should invite Roslyn in. Uh, she's really interesting. She's a Republican, and she was on Trump's transition team. And we said, yeah, really, she's here? You think we could uh, get her to come for an interview? And you said yes. Uh, so let's just start with that. Why are you here in Denmark? What is a transition team? And why were you on Trump's transition well, let, team? Let me first say I'm a huge fan of Jesper Packard, and I think your other two episodes were excellent. <clears throat> and, you know, Jesper and I, we have a, a lot in common. We see a lot uh, of similar things. And I think Danes, they are probably more in line with a lot of Trump's policies than they realize. They probably don't like the way he says things. But I think a lot of the policies would be um, closer to a Danish politics than people realize. Mm -hmm. As for myself, I've been a happy resident of this wonderful country for the last 10 years. I like to say to people, I came for work, but I stay for love. I met a wonderful <laughs> Danish man, and we have three children. Mm -hmm. It's a great place to raise a family. And you know, the, I came here, I actually was living in Silicon Valley. I was recruited to work, and at that time, um, Uh, I, I was a bit frustrated with uh, living in California. I, I wanted to live in a place I could ride my bicycle everywhere and also to work in a, a culture that has work-life balance where you can say what you think to your boss. Of all the places I've been, I think Denmark is truly the place with the world's happiest people. And how long have you been here? Ten years. Ten years So now. I've been here ten years, and I'm now in the process of getting citizenship. I've taken the tests. I've taken the... Um, you know, gone through the um, uh, language study and so on. And I'm really proud to do that. And I have a particular view about immigration policy because I've 
come through the process. I respect that this country has laws and it wants to um, anybody who gets the privilege to enter Denmark needs to respect those laws, speak the language, and so on. And sorry for the listeners that I'm not speaking in Danish today. Uh, you would have to suffer with in my Danish in this kind of complex topic. But since I've been here, I have uh, been a part of the uh, Denmark's industrial PhD program, which is almost 50 years old. It's a fabulous program. It um, is how, uh, uh, to me, it's a great expression of how rational Danish people are. They think about, we want to grow this economy. We need to make new products and services, new intellectual property. So why don't we get the universities and the industry to work together to make research that we can commercialize and use it to further our country? And so I was um, honored to be a part of that. I got my PhD at Aalborg University in Sudhavn, and I studied the economics of mobile networks and internet policy. And I finished that, you know, just to bring us up to the transition team with President Trump. I finished my Ph.D. just as he was um, uh, won the election. And at that time, there were basically uh, every American economist came out against him and said he's a jerk and this and that. And there were basically only three people left who knew anything about telecom policy, who didn't say anything negative about him. Mm -hmm. And it was myself and my two colleagues. And so we were asked, would you please help? Um, inform the new president about the telecom policy. Now, just I, to explain yeah. this this concept of sure. transition team because we don't have that sure. in, in it Denmark. It goes back to it's 220 years old. It is something that every single election uh, following that, it is a way to inform the incoming president of the uh, policies. And it's very practical in the sense if you're going to send your new people into the bureaucratic agency, what are the login accounts for the email. I mean, it's a lot of practical things, but then also it gives you a way to understand what is ongoing, what needs to be updated. So it, in a period of 70 or 80 days, you have a few hundred volunteers. And by the way, I wasn't paid. I was a volunteer. And we um, make an assessment. We prepared, uh, you know, sort of two pagers around this is what's going on. And then it's uh, presented to the um, president and his advisors, and they so they get a sense of things. Now, there's a very small window of time. You make your assessment and move on. And in our case, um, we did uh, have some success to make a suggestion of uh, restoring Internet freedom. Uh, ultimately, however, that is what the chair wanted to do. So uh, he wasn't really thrilled with our recommendations, and he went on with some other things. But in general, though, the Republican policy has been adopted by the FCC. It's been very successful in promoting 5G. There are 5,000 sites today in the United States in 5G. Uh, outside of China, it is the world's leader mm -hmm. in 5G, and it's done without any Chinese equipment. So it's a tremendous success. You know, just to sum up there, it it sounds – it's definitely not so glamorous because you're kind of just, you know, making – doing some interviews, making some um, – making some uh, assessments, but it's part of what we call the peaceful transfer of power. Yeah. And so a new, it's it's when a new president elects. Yes, and even the sitting from president. From November till yeah. January. Till January, exactly. He gets to be prepared yeah. And, yeah. So, and and you held out with that when it came to telecommunications right. and 5G. Exactly. So you're a lifelong Republican? No, well, you know, I, um, I was never registered Republican until the 2016 election. I grew up in a house of Democrats, uh -huh. and that's why I have so much in common with the Esper, but We are sort of – I'm an old-fashioned Democrat, you call the JFK, which were – in today's mind, we'd call them 
pro-life, pro-gun Democrats. They're very conservative. Reagan Democrats. Yeah, you know, you blue collar, uh, they're blue collar Republicans. But I would say it is quite a, for a lot of middle class Americans, that's the values. It is. um, Where did you grow up? In in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. So so Pittsburgh was a steel city. It had a lot of labor unions. You know, my father was a a burn doctor taking care of the people who were injured in steel uh, accidents. You know, they needed uh, burn repairs to their burns and so on. In some ways, the people of that era have been forgotten in the, with the explosion of big tech. And, and of course, America has to evolve and have technology. Uh, but the people in those kinds of um, uh, cultures, they, let's say families were religious. They, you know, they, they were traditional families. Working class. Working class uh, and so forth. So, so I think that Trump has an appeal to them. So – you became a registered Republican in 2016, you said. That's the year Trump got elected. So why, why, why at that point and why, why, did, you, why well, did you vote for him? So the, um, I guess what I'd say is, you know, I, having lived in Denmark and I am uh, a person who would be, I would call it, I'm a person who believes in the free market telecom policy and I can describe what that is. But what I saw happening under the Obama administration was essentially the socialization of the Internet, which was the government takeover of the Internet. It concerned me very much. I did my Ph.D. about it here in Denmark. I studied the regulation that was here. It was a a mode of self-regulation. It was extremely successful to promote Danish entrepreneurs. I compared it with 50 other countries, and I found that the Danish model, a telecom policy, which was adopted from Democrats in the year 2000, did more to promote innovation here in Denmark than, the, for example, the policy that they had in Holland. And that's my the two things I did a very deep comparison on. So I could see that what um, the Obama administration wanted to adopt for the Internet was going to have the control of the um, the control of the internet was going to be held at the Federal Communications Commission. But is that the is that the reason why you ended up voting voting for Trump? That issue for me was what really mattered. I mean, that yeah. is my PhD. It's what I care about. <laughs> right. It's what I'm passionate about. But I could look at a lot of other issues. I guess one reason why so many Danes and Europeans has this grim view of of Donald Trump has a lot to do with some of the things that he said from like wrap them by the pussy comment to threatening to imprison uh, Hillary Clinton, his political opponent, or claiming that Barack Obama wasn't a real American and therefore illegitimate, illegitimate as, a, as an American president. His constant saying that the American election is, is marked by voter fraud. Um, comments that are hard to see as, hard not to see as some sort of support for ex- the extreme right wing in the U.S., it just doesn't seem that very presidential, uh, and it's not what we are used to hearing, and not used to not what we're used to hearing from a Republican president uh, either. What do you think about all those comments? So, you know, there's quite a lot of comments there. I don't think we have time to go through every one of them. No. What uh, what I think that matters first of all is less about what a person says and more about what they do. And as a policy person, I'm actually reading the executive orders or the legislation or the actual policy. And that's what matters. You know, people can say anything. Now, I will tell you that there are plenty of politicians who say all the most beautiful things, so flowery, lovely language, Mm -hmm. and they have policies which are truly harmful. So I am less concerned about what the person says. I'm more 
What I care about is what is the policy? What does it mean? Yeah. Okay. Now, at you know, we live in a highly politicized world, and you know, there are certainly comments that I think that the president makes could be said a different way. Um, but on the other hand, I think there are many times where um, people self-censor because they're afraid of offending, you know, whatever particular constituency who feels so fragile or offended because someone else has a point of view. So if you live in a free society, mm. there are going to be um, things that you hear that you don't like. But that is the point of a free society. But, but. We have a debate. And I'll, here's what I would say, Espen, is you can pull out any comment you want. Then I'd say to you is to look at the actual Trump speeches, okay, which have – there's nothing controversial. It is totally traditional American values. That is, there's, you could even remove, it would say, Trump, and, and there, there are these various studies will be done and say, well, here's the statement, and then you could switch, you know, and people had no problem. But because Trump is attached to it, they automatically go against it. But some of these comments, I mean, I don't think there's many different kinds of way you can say grab them by the pussy. That's just wrong, isn't yeah. it? Well, sure. And listen, they, they took this from what the person said. He was never a political candidate 15 years ago. And blow that up. I'm sure you can find every single person has said something that they didn't like at a time. Mm. They regretted it. It was taken. It was recorded. He didn't even know it was recorded. So, of course, that's a terrible thing to say. But if that is all the media wants to focus on and not the actual policy, mm. the media is trying to distort you know, uh, what is there. And again, I leave you with this. President Obama was an amazing, inspiring president. He also said a lot of things that I think sound great on paper um, that weren't um, helpful. Or, for example, he did things that I find un unconstitutional. Like. Certainly the Internet policy. Uh -huh. Look at the Paris Climate Accords. However well-intentioned, that activity, because they, they did not follow the constitutional process, which is if you make an international treaty, it has to go to the U.S. Senate for a vote. And he purposely avoided the constitutional step that we require. But... And, and so for me as an American who believes in the Constitution, it's my right because that is the only – how is a person living in the U.S., if you make a global treaty, where do I get a say? Because I'm not going – I'm not the one casting the vote. It's not legally vote. binding though. Well, right. if you make a treaty – that at least, the, at least from the U.S. perspective, when you make a treaty, if it's an international treaty with another nation or an international body, it has to be, it has to be conf um, ratified in the Senate. And they knew that they did not have the votes in the Senate for that particular treaty, so they avoided doing it and then said they're going forward anyway. That's unconstitutional. It's not a treaty. It's an accord. It's okay. Not a treaty. Well, fair enough. Yeah. It, but it, at least it has been um, – what I would put it this way. There are – this is part of why you should care about the rule of law, because if there's a process to be followed, mm. the process needs to be followed. If you don't follow the process, okay, your rights are not your rights are not protected. And what I would say is the climate goals are well on their way. We have had the, the emissions are down. We have more renewable energy, mm. and the U.S. has moved farther than other nations in the Paris Accord in achieving their goals, even without it. So, so in, in any case, I have to come back to you on that because okay. I was under the so impression. So, what, what about? Uh, I want to touch one yeah. one more thing about what Trump has said. Yes. Yeah. Uh, one thing is uh, what he said in a in a in a in a secret recording many years ago. Yeah. In 2016, uh, he he uh, 
he argued that a judge, uh, Gonzalo Curiel, uh, shouldn't be dealing with. Uh, he said he should recu- recuse himself from a case uh, concerning the Trump University lawsuit mm-hmm. because of his Mexican heritage. Right. You know, this even even like the most bona fide Republican at the time, I think uh, Paul Ryan, he said this textbook racism. This was at the time when Donald Trump was a the Republican nominee for the presidential election. It, it, uh, what, 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 how do you feel about right. that? Right. So here's what I'd say. I don't I don't support everything the president says. Again, I come back to the policies I care about. He has said any number of things. And besides, people make mistakes. Mm. You know, they may say things on in a in a uh, in, in a fit of of, uh, of 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 misunderstanding or of, of rage or what have you. Um, but that is not the policy that was uptaken. If you look at the judges who have been brought to that he has put forth, you have women, you have people of color, you have um, a wide assortment of judges, but they all care about the Constitution. But, but do you think so? But, but that, that that doesn't. It's not a deal breaker for me. Okay. I don't even know the context because there's so many issues. And it's not going to boil down to me because the media latches on to one particular thing. I don't know all of the context of that. Okay. okay. But I can take give you any politician and find something and I can blow it out of proportion and said, oh, he said this, that or the other. It's the policy is what matters at the end of the day. What are you signing your name to? What is the you know, the things that you put forth? Mm. It's certainly an unfortunate comment. I don't agree with it. Again, I don't have all the context to it, okay. but that should not detract from the other positive areas. But I think maybe maybe one, one reason is that an American president is not just head of a government. He's head of state mm-hmm. because sure. the United States is a republic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe that's why we're used to this concept of being presidential. Right, being presidential. Uh, but I think it's also a bit fake because there's so much of the this kind of, oh, you know, I'm – for example, um, you would notice that the media would never give a difficult question to President Obama. Rarely. It was all scripted and everything was perfect. And, you know, oh, he's so much smarter than you or I. And then for some reason, there's a different standard for Trump because he wants to challenge the status quo. And I actually, my my personal view on this, um, my own view of Washington is that um, to going back to what Steve Schmidt said, oh, he's challenging the federal government. American federal government today is a bureaucracy beyond belief. It's $4 trillion. It is millions of people working for it. Okay, so many. It is way beyond what anyone would consider the size of a sort of rational and effective government. We have so much debt, and it's even increased now with with, uh, COVID. Uh, you know, uh, paying but this it's d- Republicans. Yes, I agree with you. That, and this that, is what that, that so expand even, the sovereign debt. And right. Of the and United part of States, my though. disappointment, I could say I have disappointment here because I want to see a president to help rein in what's called the executive branch. And in fact, a lot of those things have happened in terms of reducing regulation. That is a fact. It has happened. But also there we have for just give you an example. We have a Department of Education. It's 60 billion dollars. We have also Department of Labor another couple billion dollars. Why not put them together and make a department of the workforce? 
That's something that the Trump administration has proposed as a way to reduce the bureaucracy, make it more effective, make it more modern. And this is not a controversial idea. This Democrats have been for that. In fact, you know, we have some of the most deregulatory economists are Democrats. Uh, We have also, for example, um, uh, a lot of regulatory agencies which were controlling for the airlines. We only had in the old days, I remember in the 70s, we had two or three airlines because in order to, to, to create an airline, you had to have government approval. Mm. They chose where the planes would fly, the size of the planes. Actually, Democrats, um, they, they got rid of that under Jimmy Carter. And Reagan, you know, went forward. So the other part of Trump that I think a lot of people, libertarians, I would say, myself included, are um, we see that there's too much government control of the economy, too much control of people, uh, by the government and wanting to, how would you say, bring it back to a semblance of something that that the Constitution prescribes. Mm-hmm. And there's, again, a lot of legal issues here. Jesper would agree. He knows what I'm talking about. Um, but uh, who is the kind of person that's going to take to go against a federal bureaucracy? If you have a million, four million employees who are getting their paycheck every day from the government— they are not going to be happy if you say, well, can we do this in a smarter way? Can we digitize some of our government the way they do in Denmark? Right. So many things that you hear do with computers, we're still using paper mm. in the United States. And I will say a lot of successes have happened. You know, uh, Veterans Administration depart- and uh, uh, military, they finally could agree on one software system to manage the health care of the veterans. Mm. OK, that sounds like a no brainer in Denmark, but it was a big deal that they could achieve that. That happened in the second year of Trump's term. So that's just one among the hundreds of bureaucratic agencies. All of these things have been going on. Again, Danish media would never cover. Danish people wouldn't know. But you expect that in this country. We, the Danish people expect that the government should be well-run. The bureaucracy should be efficient. It should be digital. It should serve uh, the people in an efficient way. It shouldn't be a a, a program just to make jobs for people. All right. Uh, then, so United States should look more like Denmark, you think? Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not libertarian, though, because we have mm. a very just high re- tax rate. Yeah, also well, you very get something for your money. So here's the other part, I would say, that um, if, in fact, you're going to have, a, if you decide you're going to have a welfare system. It should at least work and people should get something for their money. Where I think a lot of Americans are angry about taxes in the U.S. is they pay the taxes, whatever they are, and they don't get something for their money. Uh-huh. That the the defense that we're supposed to get, we pay an inordinate amount of money for defense. Mm-hmm. And yet, why is China keep militarizing? Or why are we unsafe? Why is the, you know, why are there terrorist attacks? I mean, look at one of the biggest failures in American government was 9-11. We had 18 intelligence agencies who could not talk to each other mm. because of this bureaucratic largesse. Mm-hmm. And so whether you're Republican or Democrat, you just say to yourself, what am I getting for my money? Uh-huh. Okay, I have 18 intelligence agencies and they can't figure out, they all knew some piece that there was going to be attack on the Twin Towers. Okay, so what I'm trying to say is all that Trump is reflecting is the common sense of people to say, look, it should work better than that. Mm -hmm. It it should. The project is not about solving that problem, because I think that's I mean, I think that's a substantial criticism. I mean, one thing is to point to the problem. I remember I was in the U.S. uh, shortly before the 2016 election and 
met Trump voters there who kind of said, well, Washington is, is broken, so we're going to send in this guy to fire them all, they mm-hmm. said. And I said, right. well, you can't fire them. They're elected too. But it's like, so one thing is to point to a problem and to be a reaction to this problem. Say it's broken, so mm-hmm. we send in a guy to break it even more. Mm-hmm. But is he also solving it? Is he making a better, more efficient uh, federal government uh, for the ordinary Americans? So at the end of the day, I would actually like to see the same thing as I told you, combining agencies where you can. If you can, if you can do two things, two agencies can become one great. I would like to see the budget decrease. Mm-hmm. What has happened is that their existing regulations, which were obsolete, they were unlawful, they uh, were not needed anymore, and those have been removed. Mm-hmm. So that has happened. What hasn't happened is the closing down of the agencies. Uh-huh. And I would like to see that in certain cases where I think that you don't need them anymore. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I, there are even Democrats who would agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is needed if you want a country that will be solvent in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that there are some areas where Trump has – he certainly succeeded to do deregulatory things that were necessary and, by the way, have helped increase the um, the, ener- the energy investment in renewables. They have sped new drugs, the things like Right to Try. Um, they have been great news for uh, uh, experimental technologies. It's been great for 5G, for example. So for new technologies and getting things in the marketplace that people wanted and needed, mm-hmm. that has happened. Mm-hmm. Of course, more can be done. Mm-hmm. I, um, you know, I, I'm satisfied. The big things that I care about have happened. Of course, I would like to see more. Okay. But I would also say he's had – when you do things – we have a three tiers of government. It is not the president's job to do everything. There's also a Congress and there's a judiciary and there's a balance of power for good reason. Mm-hmm. So anyone who thinks that everything in the U.S. is up to one person is absolutely wrong. Mm-hmm. And no person should want that. Mm-hmm. You don't want one person deciding everything. That's an authoritarian government. Mm-hmm. It's not just from Democrats that Trump, Trump is getting uh, aggressively opposed. Uh, there's a group of Republicans who call themselves the Lincoln Project with bona fide Republican strategists, uh, politicians as well, most notably, I think, Steve Schmidt, John McCain's campaign uh, leader. Um, Why are they, as Republicans, wrong to oppose Trump, in your view? Well, listen, everybody has a right to a free mind, and it's his own and her own opinion. There's nothing wrong with that. And I think that in a healthy society, there's going to be a difference of opinion, and nobody has to like every person. And in fact, for me personally, I don't care if you like Trump. What matters is his policy. And that there are some Republicans um, who don't like him. That's totally fine. They are allowed to have their opinion. The, um, what but I, you're both Republicans. I think maybe that's something well, that Danish people has a hard time understanding. No, is because how not can, all. How can you both be Republicans? You support Trump. And then they have the Lincoln Project, which works day in and day out for the last yeah. year to get him uh, out of office. Right. Well, but it's America's a free society. You're, and we, we'll have election for reasons because we don't want any one person to have so much power that every four years or every two years, if you're in the House of Representatives, you get to prove yourself. Mm-hmm. And that is a very healthy thing. It's a very normal process. They, the Lincoln, that's part of freedom of speech. They can organize themselves. They can have a faction. Sure. Where I would say that where the Republicans, um, where it matters is the way they vote. If you see that they um, all but one voted in favor of uh, Amy Coney Barrett, you know, that that's where it matters, that this is a particular nominee. Um, she will have an impact on the court. There's no doubt about that. 
Um, but I think she's an outstanding candidate. So the other part is, um, you know, John, there's no secret that John McCain and, and President Trump had differences. Uh, and, you know, I think that um, in politics, there are groups that try to, you know, there are different factions all the time. And even if you remember Jesper last week, he was talking about in the Democrat Party, there's, you know, far left, there's far left and far right. And what we've seen, what Trump succeeded to do was take traditional Democrats and bring them into Republican Party. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, the other part is, of course, the media loves to latch on to the Lincoln Republicans and give them free advertising. Fair enough. But what I'd say is but go it, to a go to a rally, go in, in the, down New sure. York City. You see people waving. I mean, you know, the Danish media doesn't cover that in New Hampshire, of all places, a blue state giant rally. So this is the other part. In fact, there are some Danish journalists who do go into America's heartland. Um, but. We also live in a culture now that because the mainstream media is um, very dismissive of people, that you have this, I think you've probably heard of this shy Trump voter phenomenon, where people will not admit that they have a, a particular support. And and so um, I think that uh, for a lot of people, they don't want, because they're afraid of being, um, you know, lamp, how would you say, attacked and so on. And we've seen that, that people for being a Trump supporter, they've been attacked for a hat or this or that. It's quite unfortunate because mm. we're supposed to respect other people's beliefs. Of course. But like, if Steve Schmidt was here, he would say, I guess, listen, Trump has damaged American, um, the, uh, American nation's uh, status in the eyes of the world. He has been corrosive for the federal government uh, in his four years, his went in with the explicit wish to weaken the federal government and he has succeeded in doing so and America's worse off for for those reasons what would you say to him so, if he was Well first here? of all Steve Schmidt he's has a right to his opinion uh, I would take the opposite view first of all because where I think the most important thing we should care about whether we're we're Danes or Americans is our safety and our security and our freedom and Where Trump has, I think, had his greatest success has um, been on China policy, that um, I would say that the establishment Republicans and the, quote, establishment Democrats, they have for 40 years pursued a policy with China that has truly endangered our safety and security How and freedom you you have to explain because that? the militarization of China today, it is something that Americans are united about. They're extremely concerned. It is um, on, on order of rivaling now the American military. They've had a huge buildup. They, you saw what's happened in Hong Kong. You see what's going on with Taiwan. And on top of that, to put the military aside, uh, China steals on order of $600 billion dollars of intellectual property from the U.S. alone. I'm not talking about what gets stolen from Europe, what gets stolen from Denmark. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a country, Denmark is built on in its intellectual property, its pharmaceutical molecules, its innovation in agriculture, its uh, a know-how and how it makes products. Mm-hmm. So intellectual property is extremely important, not just in the theft of it illicitly, but in um, – Uh, if you know when you want to go do business in China, they'll require you to turn over your intellectual property. So where Trump has succeeded is at least put on the table, this is not working. And I remember myself, I went to business school. Nobody could criticize China. It wasn't it was it would have been, you know, of course, we have to do business with China. We're just going to play by their rules. We know it breaks the law. We know they're not a fair player, but we're just going to go with it because they're the biggest economy. Why do we have to put up with that? You know, 
This Denmark is a country that is straightforward, it's reasonable, it respects what the rules are, it plays by the rules. Why shouldn't our trading partners play by the rules? And so what I'd say is where Trump has succeeded is the, the policy's not complete, but he's at least got people to recognize that the status quo is not working, it's hurting us, and it's time to change it. And where what I care about, you know, I'm a telecom policy person, we have made, it's basically like turned a battleship around with regard to things like Huawei, right? Chinese military company, which was providing the networks here in Denmark, TDC, the largest operator in Denmark, has switched out. It's got rid of its Huawei equipment and now is on track to be the first to launch 5G. And it could do that without lowering, without increasing cost or slowing its time to deploy. And that is one of the successes I would give to President Trump. Now, granted, Concern about Huawei goes back to 2005. Even the Obama administration started restricting it. And even if Trump loses, Biden will continue this policy. This is something that's bipartisan. Mm -hmm. But it took a crazy guy like Trump to be so bold and so unpredictable that he could change that opinion. And this is where I think he differs from traditional Republicans because traditional Republicans want to be so straight-laced and nice person and respectful and I'm not going to rock the boat and so on. But when you really want to make – when you're – nobody – you could say many politicians tried to change the game with China. didn't succeed. Mm. It took Trump to change the game. I just want to touch upon one last thing about China because one of the things Trump has uh, uh, marked as his, as his own achievement has been this trade war, uh, imposing tariffs on Chinese goods imports. Uh, the Federal Reserve came out with a report this week, I think it was, that showed sort of industry by industry uh, that um, it hasn't boosted employment in the United States. It has actually reduced it because because of global supply chains. Mm -hmm. So American factories has to buy uh, parts and goods from China, mm -hmm. and they get hit by these tariffs as well. So employment hasn't been boosted. In the, other, in the other direction, though, it has been decreased. Has the trade war sort of blown up in, in the face of, of Trump, you think? So there are, how would we say, there are thousands of goods that are at stake here. Mm -hmm. So, And the other part to keep in mind is jobs have already been lost over decades. Mm -hmm. And what I care about with China are strategic trade, things like semiconductors, mm -hmm. things like uh, chips for 5G equipment, mm -hmm. okay? That's what we should care about. And what really matters is to maintain high-paying jobs and creating high-paying jobs. And we have – the United States has very long-standing rules around export controls, strategic trade control, and so forth. So this particular number with the Fed, I have to look at which particular category because we're talking about millions of jobs in different areas. Where it does matter, however, is that the strategic part of the trade – um, should get out of China in the sense that if we have supply chains that we're relying on for pharmaceuticals, for information technology equipment, for electronics that we need, that we need to diversify that to other countries in Asia, to South America, what have you, or to the United States. Now, the, the thing to notice is that we have so much emphasis on China. The United States has almost as much trade with Canada and almost as much trade with Mexico that equals what we have with China. It's just below the level. And the same thing in Europe. 
Europe doesn't need China. Europe can increase its trade amongst in the European area so it can decrease its dependence on China, reduce what is a hostile trading, uh, a hostile nation, puts European security at risk. So in that way, in the short run, there may be particular job losses. I don't know which area you're talking about, but where it does matter is that we have all one of the results of the trade negotiation, whatever you want to talk about, is we realize there's a risk to doing business with China mm-hmm. and that we should diversify. Anybody who knows anything about business or investing, diversification is key. We want to diversify our supply chains to other places that may shift where particular jobs go. Mm-hmm. But China should not be the world's factory. We shouldn't be relying on them for everything. Uh-huh. We have intelligent people all over the world. Other countries want to help to be participate. And so um, I would say that this project is not done, mm-hmm. but the opinion has changed. And I would say Biden, will, if he won, he would continue. Mm-hmm. I certainly think that the Trump administration would continue. It hasn't been a perfect execution of the policy, no. but the direction is correct. And so what, what, what about, because I think one thing that sort of inhibits all that is mm-hmm. the, the fact that you talked about the sovereign debt of the United States, which yeah. is very, very big, mm-hmm. and it's owned large part of the Chinese government that mm-hmm. bought U.S. treasuries. Right. That power balance... Uh, that what are you? How do you so analyze abso- that? Would, what do you think would, about that? You know, the whole financial relationship with China has been, you know, again, this was built up over decades. And why we ever got so, um, you know, there's so many things to talk about here. But you know, the fact that um, that China could, you know, it could trade its companies could trade on American stock exchange, but don't have to follow the same rules as other as American companies, for example. So. That was certainly misguided, and I think that we have the the sort of people who it's it's now okay to talk about that you know this is not a good thing. And where I I think the sh- the shift was that because Trump was able to put out there the status quo is not helping us. So many people who had concerns about the sovereign debt or financial trade exchange with China, they now have. They're legitimized to talk about that. And we have those sort of people who are willing to shift that policy. You know, Marco Rubio, he's a particular person who's talked about it a long time. So there's now a critical mass Uh to address that. It's a long-term thing. It is not fixed in four years. It's going to take time. But until the public opinion was at least saying, okay, well, we're not going to take the abuse anymore. And by the way, Trump did the dirty job that other politicians didn't want to do. And now the Europeans can look so, you know, presidential and diplomatic. And because Trump looks like the mean person, everybody else can look reasonable. So what does it what would it mean if he got reelected the 3rd of November? What would it mean for American society? So that is we don't know. It's a week away. Um, I think the things are very close. Um, I think that there's going to be Um, a lot of discussion. Uh, on the other hand, I would also say the p- polls are tightening. Um, there is also a, an amount of what do you call shy Trump voter that will vote that don't you know Multiple express posters. it openly and yeah. so forth. Um, you know, I haven't thought about it because <laughs> just had the, it's just coming up. What I would say is the getting uh, is is. Coming out of the COVID crisis, I think is everyone's mind that has been very difficult for everybody. Um, wanting to start their businesses again, 
get to what extent can get back to normal. There may not ever go back to the way it was, but the big thing will be inventing a new way to work. You're going to, you're going to be learning with computers, working online, getting healthcare online. So I'm optimistic. If in fact he'd win again, I would. I would actually like to see the continuation of some of the pol- of the promises that have not been delivered. I think that they're there. This would be on the re- reducing the government, making it more effective, being able to accomplish the same with fewer resources, especially under the fin- with a state where we have such a fiscal crisis that we have to tighten the belt and that the agents, all of the federal agencies would have to be smarter about what they do. Um, there is great news for energy. I think, and that is a big part of growth in the economy. Uh, 5G deployment, you know, now Apple has just released the uh, first 5G phone in the U.S. So now I would expect new businesses to emerge that are going to be using the new 5G networks. That's going to be very exciting. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would hope that the um, China policy would continue. And in a more, I hope in in a sober way, I think we need to find out about the virus. How did it happen? We don't have a good investigation about what happened there and where it came from, You know how it's all worked, what's happened with the WHO, that should happen. Mm-hmm. I think we need some safeguards there for our health, and uh, I would like to see that happen mm-hmm. as well. But you, you think that COVID-19 was not just kind of like because- No, I just, what I'd say is I don't think that there's been accountability, mm-hmm. meaning, for, for example, when World Health Organization said it's not passed from person to person, and there was never an apology, there was never an explanation, mm. and the countless suffering that everyone's had to deal with from that, that's right. been real, a real problem. Another thing that we've been discussing here in this podcast has been Trump as a Republican yeah. and how he has changed, if he has changed the Republican Party, because yeah. like, I think if you took a guy like Mitt Romney and compared him to Trump, you'd say they can't be in the same, they can't be in the same party, they can't both be Republicans. Mm-hmm. Do you think that the Republican Party will be returned to be more Mitt Romney after Trump goes away, either this coming election or, the, or after four years? Or do you think that the Republican Party will take more after Trump? So if anything, if you look at the Republican Party today, it is more diverse than ever. The uh, The candidate from my own district in Naples, Florida, is a, is a, is a black man who is um, running on a platform of school choice. Um, 60% of the kids in Florida who are in a charter school are minorities. So for them, for his constituency, uh, equality is about getting a good education and that they don't feel in the traditional public school system in the U.S. that they get a good education. So education is not my expertise, but it's a huge area where where I see a, a lot coming up. We have more women. If you look at someone like Nikki Haley, we have um, – a number of young people, so the average age is much lower. There's a number of people running for Congress now who will actually be some of the youngest ever elected to Congress as Republicans. So I think that the party's energized with young people, with women, people of different uh, of non-white backgrounds, if you will. They're whether they're Asian Americans. We have gays. I mean, it's. But but I guess the difference is Republicans don't. They try to identity politics is not the first thing they want to say because they respect every person as an individual, mm-hmm. regardless of the gender and so forth. That's not supposed to be the the most important thing. But there is more diversity because the founding principles of the Constitution appeal to everyone, and that is now reflected in the new life. So there is certainly energy there. The one other thing I would say I look forward to as a next frontier is literally space. I don't want to forget to say that uh, something the Trump administration did I'm excited about um, 
is the is a, a plan to go back to the moon and to go to Mars. And you know, already NASA has hired Bjarke Engels to design beautiful Danish home, Danish dwellings on the moon. And you know, I find that um, you know it's very exciting. There's a style to it. So the way that the Republican Party today is is not apologetic in the sense of you shouldn't have to apologize because you care about constitutional principles, the right to life, the right to speech, the right for, you know, the the, the, the right, um, you know, for, for the freedom to make a living. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I think is different. And I think that goes beyond the president. Uh-huh. So, and one last question, Rosalind, and I'll let you loose from from our from our studio here. Something that people have been discussing for a while here in Denmark, the American the American uh, aficionados of American politics. It's also been discussed a lot in American media. What if Trump loses? Will he or will he not leave in an orderly fashion, like we have seen all other presidential candidates or pres- presidents that have lost has done in, in the past? Yeah. What, what do you think? So. I think for everyone's sake that I would like to see an election where it is clear, you know, that the um, both the popular and electoral votes are clear in their tallies. I think that'll make it easier for everyone. We have a difficult situation now with the early voting. And then, of course, Electoral College doesn't meet till um, till later. Uh, so I actually believe that the president can look at that and to see if he has not won, then he leaves. I, I don't I don't buy into this kind of notion that he rejects it. Um, the only... But why doesn't he say it then? The why? Only, he, when he's because, put, and then in that case, because maybe that he has, I, he may have some intelligence that says um, a particular state um, is purposely throwing the election. That That is possible. I don't know. I don't know why he said that. I don't know the context, what other information is there. But... Um, what I would say is it should be transparent and clear for the American people when the vote tallies are given that um, that a winner is there. Um, in this, we have a challenge now because not all the tallies may be in at one time, and because so, of early voting, right? Early voting, it's not so. Um, you know, but you know, so that I, that's all that I can say about it. I actually, I, I don't. I think this is a bit of a sensationalism. To think that you know he doesn't take it seriously. The the other part is that he is a person who would at least what I would think to say what I have seen is that if he doesn't have the support of the voters, he would not continue. Mm. And you know that is 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 what it's for. Um, we will just have to cross that bridge when we come to it. All right, Russell Layton, it has been so interesting to talk to you. Thank you so much for taking the time to come in here. My pleasure. Great to be with you. Og først og fremmest tak til dig derude med altinget Azure i ørerne. Din opmærksomhed er vi som altid taknemmelige for. Som sagt går amerikanerne til stemmeurnerne den 3. november, og indtil da laver vi fire udsendelser om amerikansk politik. Mit navn er Esben Schøring, og du er blevet ført Azure. God dag og god vind. Mm-hmm.